Guys, welcome back. Matt Simmons here with another episode of the Remind Podcast. I actually have a really cool guest on today. Um, former professional skateboarder, former brewery beer owner, now real estate investor. I'm pumped to invite Mikey here today. Mikey, welcome, brother. How's it going? I'm stoked to be here. Uh, it's going, man. It's going. So why don't you dive in? Um, you know, we actually, believe it or not, we have similar action sports backgrounds. And I'll explain to you mine. Uh, after we dive in, but give me a quick, give us a quick for all the viewers that aren't familiar with you, give them a quick little background as to who you are and where you came from. Uh, yeah, uh, born and raised Southern California, uh, picked up a skateboard oddly enough when I was 12 years old, got sucked in, didn't <laughs> want to stop doing it. Yeah. And so, uh, I tried to make it a career ultimately, uh, convinced a handful of companies to start giving me free product. Then they started paying me and promoting me. And before I knew it, it turned into a 14 year career, which was way longer than I anticipated. Right? Um, yeah, it was wild. And then from there, I started my first business, which you mentioned, which was in the craft beer industry. Yep. It was a company called St. Archer. Uh, and then we, we ended up selling our business to Molson Coors in 2015. And then I started my current business, which is Commune Capital. Yep. And we're a private equity real estate firm. We yep. highly focus on multifamily and storage. Okay. So that, that was my, my next question is you guys are, are doing from what I've seen, uh, a good amount of self-storage, and you guys are doing conversions on self-storage, if I, if I remember correctly, right? Correct. We, we, well, we try to. We try to do <laughs> you know, adaptive reuse. And you know, our, our model is you know, buying uh, you know, dark big box retail, you know, yeah. Kmart, Walmart, Bed Bath & Beyond that goes vacant, and then doing an adaptive reuse and filling it with storage. It's just difficult to do. Stories, uh, cities don't love storage. Yep. And so uh, when it works, we go for it. We also have a couple development projects in our storage portfolio. And then multifamily is the, the kind of the big push right now. Yeah. Yeah. And you guys are doing some ground up development on, on your multifamily. Yeah. Multifamily right now is all ground up. It's, okay. uh, you know, we, you know, ideally we want a distressed asset that we can, you know, scrape and build something on. Yeah. Yeah. And you guys just closed on fairly recently a new project, right? And you guys are breaking ground on that? Or you just broke ground on it? We Our last closing was about maybe six weeks ago or so. It was a project yeah. in San Diego. Okay. And then we have another one scheduled. Gosh, I think we're about 45 days out on that one. And then we, we're kind of staggering where it's like every quarter there's a closing right now. Okay. Or, or Very a, nice. a potential closing, I guess. Is the potential, right. Yeah. Exactly. That's what I always say. It's not closed until the money's in, in the yeah. bank and de deeds transferred and, and, and ownership is transferred. Um, That's right. So it's funny. So uh, I mentioned earlier, we come from similar action sports background. So my action sports background was professional motocross up until um, I had a really bad injury in 2001 and ended up having to retire. And then I, I went into business back here in Pennsylvania with a partner of mine, started investing in the real estate back in 2006 ultimately leading to where we are now. But I come from the action sports background myself as well. So I totally understand everything that goes into all of that background and converting that into business and people looking at you go, how do you go from this to that? <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know, it's, yeah, I think skateboarding is, is maybe a bigger hurdle only in the sense of the perception that people have of skaters being, you know, I think by and large reviewed as, you know, I don't know, what, what do you want to say? Not very responsible, uh, not very smart, drugs, yeah. I mean, all of it. And, right. 
But, you know, skaters have the same kind of obsessive quality that other athletes have. Like it, it, it takes a very disciplined and determined person to put in like the amount of time to actually master something. Right. That I think if you can translate that obsession into the next category, I think athletes actually have a strategic advantage above others. It's just hard to, yep. in a lot of cases, we're purpose-driven or, or you know, something grabs right. us and then that energy comes out. So I think that's maybe the challenge. Right. But yeah, you learn how to, to funnel the energy, you're going to do well. No, I agree with you. And, and, and I think that's where being an athlete and the dedication that you have to put in practicing and training and every single day, day in and day out, the long hours translates actually very well to the business side. But a lot of people can't put that actually two and two together until you actually explain it and like lay it out for them. And then they're like, oh, yeah, OK, that does make sense. I get right. it now. Yep, that's right. You and I, we're, we're playing the same game. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. So you started a, you started Commune in what, 2015, 2016? No, a little bit later. We I started working on it in 2017 and then okay. we officially launched in the beginning of maybe the beginning of 18 or so. So tell me about I want to hear about how you went from beer, craft beer, well skateboarding craft beer and then what was what was the thing that spurred you into real estate? Yeah, that's a good question. So a little bit was I was investing in storage behind the scenes. I had okay. a lot of my money invested passively in storage. So okay. even when we built St. Archer, even like, you know, my philosophy prior to St. Archer, which was the brewery, was get as much of my money into these assets that can pay me cash flow and appreciate at the same time. Sure. And so that was kind of part of my wealth building strategy outside of what I was currently building. Yep. When we sold St. Archer, you know, the it took me a second to figure out what was next. Like I was, yeah. I, I knew I didn't want to do beverage again, uh, only because of I, I had a concern that I was just going to create the same thing we already created, like a right. St. Archer 2.0, which yep. kind of frightened me. Right. Um, so I wanted it to be totally new. It took me probably six or seven months, though, to come up with you know, the reality that I wanted it to be real estate. I, I, I actually first thought I was going to do a shoe brand. Um, okay. And I had, I had, I had it basically all laid out. I had samples from China. I had like mm -hmm. everything ready to go. And right yep. then and there, once it was like, okay, I'm at the point where, you know, there's no turning back. Yeah. Like this, this realization hit me that like, I didn't want to start a shoe company. I, mean, I didn't like, I looked at myself looking at these shoes going, what am I doing? <laughs> and then it was kind of a reset to like really figure out what the true fit was. Yep. And I had this idea that, you know, because of my upbringing and, and it was really, you know, because of my parents, when, when I became a pro skateboarder and told my parents I wasn't going to go to college, they really encouraged me to get help financially. E even though I wasn't making a lot of money, it was a big yep. thing for them. And because of that, I had somebody come into my life early that helped me with everything, creating a budget, building yeah. my credit, creating the discipline so that as I started making more money, I was able to control my lifestyle to put more money into investments, right? He really built the foundation. And, and he was the one, it was massive. Yeah, and I was going to say, the one, you don't see that a lot either in, in, the, in those industries. I mean, you see a lot of action sports people come out of it the end of their career and they don't have anything to show for it because they didn't set that foundation up from the beginning. That's, that's, that's most cases, right? Yeah. And he was actually the one who brought, you know, my first storage investment to me. 
And okay. so, you know, I was kind of running through these concepts in my head of like, you know, what put me in this position and what could I create that would be a value add for others? And I just kept coming back to him. Like I had somebody that educated me, helped me build a foundation and then brought opportunity. And so I had the concept that I wanted to create some yep. type of company that did what he did in my life for others. So it was gonna be an educational platform with an investment arm. And when I started really putting pressure on what investments I wanted to make out of the company, uh, I kept going back to, to real estate. Like that was the investment for, for me that like I could always count on. Uh, I felt like I wasn't taking a great amount of risk to do it. And I felt confident bringing it to the masses. And so that's, that, that was kind of the, the drive behind the company. The shoe business really wasn't, you decided like when the time was right, you weren't ready. You, you realized that wasn't what you wanted to do. Yeah. You know what? There, there's a little bit more to the story. I'll give it to you real <laughs> quick. Uh, yeah. Basically I was, when I was skating, my main income was coming from my shoe sponsor. It was a company called DC and yep. they, they ended my contract early through a loophole. It was kind of dirty what they did. Don't you love sponsors? <laughs> yeah. And there was a part of me that was like, like almost going down this path of like revenge. Like I was revenge, like, all right, yeah. I'm going to get them like by success. I'm going to build a shoe brand. Like that was like my original uh, kind of idea. And, yep. you know, as it started kind of playing out, I, I thank God realized that I was doing this all for the wrong reason. Yeah. Uh, and that I would have been miserable doing that because I had no desire to build a shoe company. Yeah. And then uh, is that's when I started really kind of doing a deep dive about you know what I wanted to build and why. And then yeah. that's what led to the company. Okay. And when did you guys actually buy that first piece of real estate? So you were, you were invested passively up to that point. When did you guys actually buy your first piece of real estate? Okay. So uh, when we so I started working on the company the beginning of the year. Uh, we officially launched when we got our first project under contract. We ended up getting a, a smaller deal in Long Beach, like a 34 unit apartment under contract. Yep. Okay. And from that point of locking it up, right, we had our 12 day due diligence. We had like our 45 day close. We had to get all of the legal documents set up. We had to raise the capital, et cetera. Yep. And so that was kind of the launch of the company was with that first project. And then from there, we got our second one, I don't know, three months after that. Uh, and then, gosh, the third one, maybe the following year, and then it just started okay. building. And then you just kept growing from there. So how much from the time you started the company through today, what's been your total dollars raised? Oh, that's a good question. Total dollars raised. Uh, I'm not 100% accurate on this number, but I bet sure. you it's around 150. That's great. That's phenomenal. Right around 150. That's great. And how many, like, what would what the, the assets that you currently hold give our viewers and our listeners kind of an idea of total number of assets you hold? So that you're split between self storage and multifamily right now. And then what, what is it that you're looking forward, you know, moving forward? Can I give us an idea of what you guys are doing moving forward growth-wise? Yeah, good, good question. So our storage portfolio is made up of about, I don't know, 8,500 units or so. Uh, that's around eight projects. Um, our multifamily portfolio, we have, let's see, one, we have two that are currently in development. We have one that's stabilized. We just sold two properties last year, and then we have three that were projecting to close on. 
okay. the multifamily portfolio is less in units, but all of our apartments are in California. So the value okay. of the multifamily portfolio is about to kind of leap the storage portfolio. And then we also have a lending fund. Uh, we have a debt fund. So we take a first position on bridge debt on uh, multifamily and storage assets. And so that- Oh, nice. Yeah. So we have, we have a total of, gosh, about eight offerings. Uh, five of those offerings are funds. Okay. And then currently we have two of those five funds open, okay. um, which is a new multifamily portfolio. Uh, and then we have a new cash flow portfolio that's kind of a new version of what our debt fund was. And then okay. it looks like we may be opening our storage portfolio here potentially in the next few months. Okay. Um, what we're looking for, uh, right now there's a big focus on multifamily. There, yeah. We have a, you know, it's the, the market's changed in, in specifically in our area where, yep. you know, we're severely undersupplied in California it's yep. very difficult to get projects basically through the finish line. Yeah. Uh, and because of that, you're seeing just, you know, anytime demand outweighs supply, you have a, you have, sure. you have a premium on it. Absolutely. And, you know, the state is, is really wanting to capture that spread between supply and demand. And I don't mm -hmm. believe they know how to. And right. so we're kind of like doubling down on that and, and going in and building in the most undersupplied markets where okay. most people don't know how to. So a uh, big market for us is Ventura County. The second market that we're focusing on is San Diego. Okay. Uh, the storage side is just starting to pick up for us. Storage is a little bit saturated in, in a lot yeah. of markets. Yep. And so it's been a little bit harder to find projects on that end. Uh, the debt fund, I mean, I mean, we're watching what's happening with interest rates. So as sure. you know, interest rates climb, yield right. climbs as well, especially as you know some yep. of the competition pulls back. So right. yeah, that's what we're focusing on. So you brought up something really curious that I kind of want to dive in and focus on a little bit in this conversation. And that is okay. the fact of you guys, you're based in California, Southern California, and you're investing in your backyard. And you talk about investing in California a lot, where most investors, myself included, okay. and I think a lot of this is probably just because I don't know California the way that you do, but I wouldn't touch California with your 10 foot pool, much less my own. And so kind of talk because any, and I'm sure you get it a lot. Like when you tell people that, Hey, look, you know, we're investing in Southern California, San Diego, Ventura County, people are like, Oh, California. No, 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 no. So kind of talk to me a little bit about your strategy there, the opportunities that you're seeing there and the advantage you're seeing and why you're so focused on that versus other markets. Yeah, it's a really good question. So your viewpoint is, uh, <laughs> I would say the norm, right? Yeah. It absolutely is. But it's interesting because your viewpoint is is a big part of our thesis. Our thesis sure. is a lot of the policy that drives investors out of California simultaneously drives our competition out. And what sure. that does for us, if we know how to basically build and own assets here, drives our value up. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it, it, this is where I'm going lately with it is, you know, we keep hearing about these states that are very pro-developer, right? You mm -hmm. have Texas pro-developer, Arizona right. pro-developer. You've you have states right. that you can get projects through very, very quickly, right? Yep. And, you know, California, what, you know, what the, the message that they try to market is, well, we're very pro-tenant. Uh, yes. I don't think they are. I, I actually think California okay. is the most pro-development pro state in the nation, and I think they're very anti-tenant. The reason is, 
I, I mean, let's think about it, right? California makes it very, very difficult for you to build a project. It, from the point of you right. buying something and needing to build, you're five years out until that project's stabilized, sure. right? And yep. because they don't streamline the process, what does that do? That keeps supply significantly Low. lower than demand. What yep. does that do for the tenant that gives them less options and drives prices up? So if California really was pro-tenant, they would open this place up, they would deregulate, and they would allow supply to come on so that to tenants weren't being oh, yeah. 100%, and they don't yep. do it. And so you know, to give everybody context of, of how severe this problem is, California is short about 2 million units, right? And the governor's goal is to have 3.5 okay. million residential units by 2025. That's their goal, right? Okay. The state of California over the last 10 years has averaged 104,000 new units per year, right? So if nothing <laughs> changes, California doesn't change at all. We're not adding the three and a half million new units online until 2089. Right, right? 30 years if out. If we but, increase yeah. it by 50%, we'll hit those numbers around 2050. And if yeah. you look at what's happening right now, Real estate is not, the building isn't increasing. You're seeing projects stall right. out right now. So you're seeing okay. that gap become further and further kind of pushed. Right, pushed and away. And so yeah. th this is our, our whole thesis. We know how to build here. Right. And because of that, we feel very confident that our projects are going to have demand. I mean, I honestly believe they're going to have demand for my entire lifetime. I, I think this is a problem that California is not going to be able to fix. Right. Uh, and so... I like the idea of owning real estate there. It, 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 in some regards, feels like you own a monopoly. It's like most right. people will never be able to own a home in California, let alone a commercial asset. Yep. And the state isn't doing anything to make it easier. So yep. I think there's a strong argument to be made that all the bad policy is actually making all the owners more wealthy. And so why not participate in it? It makes sense. I mean, it's, it's kind of taking a contrarian view and you're going against the grain that everyone else is, right? And I like that. And, you know, we kind of do the same thing where we pivoted coming out of the pandemic with our multifamily, which is what we focused on since 2014. And we we looked at an opportunities, where can we hedge our risk when, when, not if, but when the government comes back and puts another rent moratorium in place, right? right. And really the only place to hedge your risk in real estate that you can guarantee rent payments is an affordable housing. So we went all in on affordable housing starting back in 21. And everyone's like, ooh, affordable housing. No, I'm running away from that, which is why there's such a, a lack of supply like you're talking about in California when it comes to affordable housing. The number of voucher holders far exceeds the supply 10 to 1. You know, there's two, three year wait list for people just to get a voucher. Yes, it requires more hands on. Yes, it requires there's there's some extra steps to it. But that also makes it a lot more financially lucrative for us based off of the rents that are paid. And everyone else is running away from that into, into your standard value-add multifamily. The typical value-add multifamily, especially in the states that we have bought, is becoming extremely saturated. And so I'm like, well, I'm not going to compete for that same tiny piece of the pie with three times the amount of people that want to get into that game. Let's look at where can we go that's going to allow us to continue the growth that we've had, be, be financially lucrative and, and get our investors good returns, but also allow us to continue to scale. So it's kind of the same outlook you have on California. We're just looking at it from a different asset class. Like the opportunity is never where everyone is headed. The opportunity is exactly. in the direction everyone's running from. That's that. I mean, we, we've been listening to Warren talk about that for you know my entire life. And so, it, you know, what what people don't talk about is that it's uncomfortable to do this. It's scary, and people will look at you like you're crazy, right? right? Like, 
that's just how it goes, yep. right? You look at Michael B when he's talking about shorting the, the financial crisis. Everybody thought he was a lunatic. Now right, everybody's exactly. like, what's he's he a doing? Genius. He right, just shorted exactly. the market? What? Yep. So, you know, I, I, I'm a big believer in that. That that idea and that thesis has done very, very well for me so far. And yep. every time I've done something that is against the grain, there's yep. a moment where people think we're crazy. And then there's right. a moment where people start following us. And then there's yep. a moment where the opportunity is over. Yep, and so exactly. that'll happen again. And, you know, right. to, to the point you made on, on saturation, this is, this is how real estate's supposed to work, right? If California was doing things right, this is how it's supposed to work. There's an opportunity where demand has started to increase in a certain area. Let's use Idaho for the example, right? Sure. Everybody's going to Idaho. They don't have enough supply. So there's a moment where prices are coming up. Then everyone and their brother become a developer. They start right. building like crazy. Then yep. all of a sudden you see vacancy increase. Then you right. see rents come down. Then you see a correction, right? Builders yep. build. Builders right. build too much. Builders yep. oversaturate. Prices come down. This is this is normal real estate, right? Exactly. It's but your standard cycle. Yeah. That's your standard cycle. But you have markets like California that aren't allowing cycles to truly happen. Sure. And so, uh, okay. Like you guys, you guys want to run the, the state like that? Okay. There's an opportunity <laughs> for us to make money because of it. You know? Absolutely. No, I love it. I love it. Now, speaking of that, you have ventured into politics recently, local politics, if I'm not yeah. mistaken, right? Yeah. I, I want to know, because I've been asked by many people, especially through COVID, because I was a big, a big voice going against our governor who shut us down horribly during COVID. And people will keep telling me to get into politics. I'm like, you couldn't, you couldn't pay me enough to get into politics. It's just not my <laughs> thing. Uh, I'm too blunt. I'm to the point. So talk to me a little bit about your decision and your thinking behind getting into politics and and how it's been going for you so uh you know like you i i'm from california like yeah. you know our our state was locked down way too long yeah right um you, you know for the, look i get all your frustrations i i share them uh yeah. you, you know local politics or politics in general are very it, it works very differently than what we're used to it's slow right. yeah uh, it feels like you know, to make any type of impact, you're doing something today that may come to fruition 10, 15 10 years, years from now. Right. Yeah, it, it, it's it's difficult. But the reason I got involved is, is one, uh, this is where I grew up. Like the, the place right. where I grew up is the place I live. I, I, I yep. live here. My parents live here. My wife's from here. Her parents yep. live here. All of our siblings are here. Like we're living like that true kind of small town, yeah. you know, generational plan. And- yep. I love it. Like, I, I love everything about it. I see people that I went to school with. Like, I, I, I really think there's something special about small towns. Yeah, I agree. And, and you know, they're, really during the lockdown, I, I started having a lot of friends leave. I had a lot of people leaving. And then after the lockdown, it didn't stop. Like, people were looking yeah. for other areas to live. They wanted more amenities. They wanted, wanted cheaper options. Yep. And I didn't want to keep seeing friends leave, and I didn't want to – I didn't want – anything coming on my list that would ever come into play for my wife and I to leave as well. Like sure. I, I want to stay here. I want my kids to stay here, et cetera. Yep. And so I felt like the only way I could potentially try and, you know, Make hedge that against that happening. Right. Yeah. Was getting involved. So, uh, yeah. So I, and, and look, I wanted to get involved in the local level. I didn't I, like, I wanted to try to make an impact in, in, in my actual world that I was experiencing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so I went for it and now I'm, <laughs> you know, I got elected. I, I have a four year term. 
uh, you know, our community, it's about 125,000 residents. So it's, yeah. uh, it's been interesting for sure. <laughs> um, but what I would say is there's, yes, there's parts that are frustrating. Yes. There's parts sure. that are fulfilling. I think I'm going to come out of this actually, uh, having learned a lot. And I think it is going to help me become whether you want to call it a better leader or put in a position to make a greater impact. I, I think I'm, I, I think this has been a, it's going to be a really good experience. And so, right. you know, I'm, I'm, I'm with it. I mean, I, I told my wife, you know, let's do four years and then we'll reevaluate and see what's next. That's awesome. Good for you, man. Congrats on that. No, yeah. that's, that's awesome. How often are you still skating and are you still skating? Oh, uh, yeah, like 19 year old me is like rolling right now. No, I'm, I'm right? not, I don't, yeah, I'm not, I don't skate that much anymore. The last time I skated yeah. was for, a uh, a cover of a storage magazine about three months ago for a photo shoot. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, <laughs> you know, maybe I'm stepping on a skateboard four times a year. Maybe that might be generous. You know, your diehard fans, Mikey are, are not, are not liking that, that answer right now. <laughs> I know. Look what I tell them. I hear it on my lives. Uh, right. It, it, there's just a moment right now where it's just time is not available to skate. Yeah, um, I hear you. if any of my kids pick up a skateboard, I'll start skating again. Like that's right. a good time I could spend with them. But right now, the second I leave the office, it's dinner, hang Family out with the kids, time. put yeah. them to bed, 100%. Maybe work a little bit, wake up the morning yeah. in the office, repeat, repeat, repeat. So it's yep. just the time's not there. Yeah. No, I, trust me, I, I get it. People ask me when's the last time I've ridden, and the last time I threw a leg over a bike was 2011. Yeah. Um, so and and now uh, a lot of that was because I broke my back. I got this bright idea when I turned 30 in 2010 that I wanted to get my pro license back and go do one more last professional race, and I did, and then I broke my back and my pelvis in that race. Damn. And. Oh, yeah. So I was in ICU for a week. I was on bed rest for six months, man. It was, it was brutal. I got completely healed back up. My wife at the time, you know, always supported me riding. I got back on the bike one time, got off the bike. We were driving home from the track and she hands me a picture and the pictures of my daughter who was two at the time sitting on my lap in the wheelchair the day I got out of the hospital. Yeah. <laughs> And so I'm like, I, I get home and I put everything up for sale. I call my buddies. I'm like, come pick up all this crap. I don't want it anymore. I'm done. I have more priorities. And I haven't been on a bike since now. And I, but I always say the same thing you just said. I said, look, if my kids, I have a daughter and I have a son, if either one of them want to get on a bike, then I'll get back on a bike. No problem. But right. until that time happens, or if that time doesn't happen, honestly, I'm probably not going to get back on one. So I yep. totally get it. I get it. Yep. It makes total yep. sense. And the time thing wife. too. Yep. That's right. The time right. thing. So, okay. Next question. What is the most recent book you have read that you would recommend to any of our listeners? The uh, most recent book I read is Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. Okay. Um, I would totally recommend it. It's, it's, it's all about negotiating. Um, okay. Phenomenal, phenomenal book. It, it'll give you all, anyone listening who hasn't read it, more skills to use when you're negotiating on. It doesn't even have to be a deal. I mean, yeah. even, you know, making... Trying to negotiate on having a conversation with your wife, like right, right. Like, or your husband, which like, we always end up losing those somehow. <laughs> you know, look, boys, you want to get a little bit closer in the potential W. This right, one? exactly. Yeah, yeah. that's good. So that's All the right, last one. I'd recommend that one. Good. I haven't read that one. I'll have to pick that one up myself. Yeah, it's good. Uh, okay, last question. What advice would you give the younger Mikey? The advice I would give myself, I don't know if I'd be able to hear it or not, but sure. I would have told myself that 
you need to learn how to be comfortable with yourself. You, you need to be totally uh, good with who you are and not try to be somebody you're not in the intention to get people to like you. Uh, I love it. That was a struggle yep. for me when I was younger. And as I got okay. older, I started getting better and better at it. And now I'm like, yep. you know, worry. I like really don't give a... <laughs> right. <know>? Yep. <laughs> but uh, yep. <laughs> I, I would have really worked on that. Um, and if so, I think I, I you know, may have potentially had a smaller friend group that were actually real friends that were more valuable. Real friends, yep. I 1,000% would have made way more money. Uh, yep. it, it, it would have resulted in a much, much more enjoyable life. No, I love that answer. I've always been accused of not giving a shit really what anyone thinks of me. And it's true because I don't like, so I've never had the opposite problem. In fact, there was a big issue that my wife and I all had for the longest time is I didn't care what anyone thought of me and, and she cared too much. And so right. always that, that tug of war. So that's a really good, uh, yeah, that's a that, really good answer. I like that. That that one's going to come for anyone whose love language is words of affirmation. You're going to know yeah. what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Awesome. Oh, Mikey, I appreciate you hopping on, man. You gave us some good stuff. So tell everyone where they can find you at, where they can find your company at. Give them the, the roadmap. Yeah. So you can find me on on any social media platform. Just put in my name, Mikey Taylor. Uh, I'm you know coming up at the top, which is awesome. Uh, our company is Commune Capital. If you want to go to our website, it's communecapital.com. And then it's Commune Capital on all the platforms as well. Awesome, man. Fantastic. I appreciate you coming on, man. I wish you guys the best of luck. You know, I'm watching you guys do big things over there in California. And I uh, appreciate you uh, taking the time to hop on here. Even with the few tech issues that we have, we made it through. So appreciate I, it, brother. I, I appreciate you as well.